G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of Yarns from the Paddock brought to you by AgForce Queensland. This podcast is aimed to help inform and educate members of the agriculture industry right across Australia and today I'm your host Sam Fryer. On today's episode we chat to Brooke from the Birama Live Export Yards up at Darwin. Now you will hear a bit of background noise throughout the episode and that's because we had the chance to go and visit Birama at Live Export Yards walk through the facilities and chat to Brooke about her role at the yards and also with CPC. Throughout the episode, we chat about the role that the live export yards play in the industry. We also touch on Brooke's other role, which is the business development manager at CPC. And we also talk about some of the stuff that she does over in Indonesia. It's a fascinating chat and I think it's one that you'll really enjoy. So whether you're in a tractor, on a horse, on a bike, or even sitting at your office, this conversation's for you. So sit back and enjoy. Brooke, thank you very much for jumping on board and having us here for a chat today. Can you just tell us a bit more about yourself, introduce yourself, what your role is here? Um, yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks for coming. Um, I am the business development manager for the CPC feedlots over in Indonesia. Um, so so my role's with, with CPC, um, but my husband runs Berrima Export Yard, so that's um, we live here and we're based here uh, and he's pretty busy at the moment so won't be joining us today. <laughs> he's, he definitely looks like he's got a lot on. I think Ben said that he finished up at like 2 o'clock this morning um, yeah. and everything so you can see the commitment definitely <laughs> has to his customers here. Um, so thank you very much for having it. This is having us here. This is an amazing facility what you guys have got. And I know that they've done several stories, I suppose, already about the cool yards and the sheds and everything. But can you touch on a little bit about the infrastructure? Yeah, sure. Um, they actually came over and visited us in Indonesia before they built these sheds. Um, and yeah, it's it's actually similar to our sheds over there, but different with the with the big um, bow in the roof. But the the top that the gap in the apex at the top is actually um, the real driver behind that um pulling that hot air out and and why it's so cool under here so um it's pretty incredible our sheds aren't as robust obviously in indonesia as this but it's just incredible to be able to put cattle through here in the wet season and, and keep them out of the rain and and out of the heat um it's really awesome yeah so the barama yards what are their main role what role do they play in the industry um so we're we're one of um there's i think there's probably six main export yards up here in darwin um, and we're actually the closest to the port, which is, which is really helpful. Um, quick turnaround time for trucks when you're loading boats and, and all the rest of it. Um, but we're the only fully covered, um, yard. So, uh, that really helps us in, in the wet season. Um, and we've actually been pretty busy, which is, which is really good. <laughs> um, how many head, how was the holding capacity of these set of yards here? Uh, so I think sort of three and a half thousand to, to 4,000 head of feeders. Yep. Um, but obviously, you know, when you've got, we've got some big bulls over there and, and other cattle, um, you know, they take up a bit more space. So, so it would be less. And how many cattle actually come through these yards in a normal year? I think that that's very variable. Uh, and they only built these sheds in 2018. So, um, I think if you put it between 40 to 50,000 in a, in a sort of pretty good year, um, I think, but yeah, this year we've been pretty busy. So. Um, and what duration do these cattle mainly stay? Well, how long do they here for before they jump on a boat? So under ASIL, uh, it's it's two clear days in the yards. 
Um, but a lot of these cattle would stay longer. I think on average our, our days is probably about six days, um, especially for these, you know, if you've got a few older cattle or, or um, cattle from mixed mobs, you really want them to have a few more days in the yards to be able to settle on to feed. And we, you know, we feed um, hay mix with pellet in the, into the bunks at first and then slowly get them eating straight pellet that they'll eat on the boat. So those sort of cattle need a bit longer. Yeah, okay. Um, so where are the most of the cattle coming from? Probably, I think there might even be a few Queensland cattle here, but um, mostly from the Territory. Yeah. yeah. Where are the cattle mainly heading from after they come to the yards here? Uh, so they... Our, our main customer here actually goes to, to several different markets. So he um, goes to Indonesia, Brunei, Malaysia, the Philippines. I'm pretty sure there's there's a few other markets there. So some of those smaller, more um, niche markets, I suppose, that, that don't take as many uh, volumes of cattle, um, he, he covers. So um, we tend to, I guess, have cattle trickling through here even when, when live export is a little bit quieter, which is, yeah. which is good. I must say, walking through the yards today, it's, um, and I've, I suppose I haven't been through too many yards, feedlot yards or feeding facilities, but this is an exceptionally well-maintained, very clean. Um, the animals are incredibly quiet. And like you said, this roof, it's very cool under here. It's, it's, it's awesome to see. And I think, like, it's something that should be highlighted about how well cared for these animals are. Um, what's the usual process that goes through when these animals enter like are they do they get a vet check when they come in um or what's usually or and and how are they maintained and looked after so we i'll and i'll show you the processing area uh later sam but we we, we usually have two people to unload so we've got one person watching that scanner because 100 percent nils yep. read is is you know the most important thing in <laughs> how, how does that go i think we all uh, know the how yeah, really good so we've got a head bell on the race as they come off the truck so anything that doesn't have a nils gets pulled up right then and there yeah, and okay. then scanned onto the list. Uh, and then we've actually got like a, a weigh bridge um, that weighs by the deck. So everything gets weighed in. Uh, and then in general, everything comes down and, and goes to bed uh, and, and has a rest. And then if it needs, if cattle need processing, we'll bring them back up later. So that, you know, because some of them have come from a long way. So we'd like to give them a rest first. Um, if they haven't come from that far, we might, we might quickly dip them because pretty much everything gets a, a dip. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll bring them up for processing later. And it just depends on who, what customer yep. or cattle, uh, depending on what you're doing, protocoling them. But, uh, sometimes we'll actually, you know, do the protocol for Indonesia for the customer over there. So, um, you know, an, an ear tag, um, and, you know, recording weights and, and other things about them. Um, but a lot of it is, is just drafting into lines because ASIL requires, some some pretty um very tight lines of cattle basically um so sorry just forgive my uh, my ignorance but what can you just explain what does ASIL mean yeah sure um ASIL is the Australian standards of uh, for export uh so it's it's it covers off I guess the RP the selection of cattle the drafting of cattle in the RP um you know and basically everything that we do here and um on the ships Okay, so docking densities. It covers all animals pretty well as soon as they enter these facilities, right up until when they go onto the boats or when do the boats deliver? I think when do the boats deliver. Uh, okay. Um, and then after that is, is, is SCAS. Yep. But SCAS starts from, from the port here uh, through the supply chain to slaughter in Indonesia. Yeah. Which is the traceability um, of the animals. So that's why I was just saying, you know, getting your RFID yeah. tags on, on arrival is really important because... 
we, we prepare a list with RFID tags out of the export yard that needs to be 100% because then that's going to be used um, to track those cattle through the supply chain uh, in other countries. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, it, I think it's good to expand because sometimes we hear all these, hear all these acronyms. <laughs> so I suppose back on the facilities, it, like this is very tidy. Do you guys have, often like, come through or do you often like, clean out the pens, do the bunks, or how often does that type of maintenance happen? Uh, in the wet season, a lot. Um, obviously, the pens need more cleaning in the wet. They're, they hold up pretty well in the dry and, and don't need as much um, cleaning out. And, and the boys, when they get time, come, come through here as well. But obviously, uh, cleaning the road in the middle of the sheds isn't high on the priority list today for them, yeah. uh, as they've got a lot of cattle work on. I see that. But they do, and they clean bunks out all the time as well. But fully covered, you yeah. know, you, you're not getting spoiled food, especially in, in the dry like this. But once cattle stop, Stop, um, stop eating it, and and the boys notice, and they'll they'll shovel the bunks out. Um, and Ben is is a um, you know, a steady feeder. He doesn't fill bunks up to the to the brim and expect cattle to want to eat it. He actually just slowly feeds them, which is, in my opinion, the best way to feed cattle and promote that. You know, come into the bunk and eating. So it's good. Brooke, you mentioned that you're you are the business development manager with CPC. What does that role entail? Um, a very broad role, to be honest with you, Sam. Um, and I was on maternity leave last year, so my role has changed a little bit this year. But um, basically, in in operations, I guess the cattle throughout the whole supply chain from Australia, um, through through to slaughter, really. And I look after, you know, monitoring those cattle and and then looking at the data with those cattle, uh, and you know, health, performance, um, everything like that. Uh, as well as, I guess, the commercial side, so sales plans and importing numbers and, you know, um, what we should be doing there. Uh, and I'm moving towards uh, working on more uh, project development in, into some other things at the feedlot um, and some other opportunities. You mentioned before that you spent a fair bit of time overseas with the CBC feedlots over there in Indonesia. Can you just chat a bit more around that and what they're like and what the difference is, I suppose, between what we see in here Australia and what we see over there? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I lived in, in Lampung for four years. Uh, we've, so there's a feedlot in Lampung and a feedlot in, in Maiden. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was, it was amazing working with the team and that's why I'm still working with the team and don't ever want to leave because they're, um, they're just great people to work with. Um, some, some key differences to, I guess, feedlotting there to feedlotting here is uh, in, in the management of the feedlot is, I guess, the culture um, of everyone and they're very uh, uh, they like to do everything, I suppose, in a in a collective way, and decisions are, are shared decisions, um, which is frustrating at times. But it's it's no, but it's it's really great because it's it's um, the the teamwork is is amazing because everybody sits down together and, and discusses it, and um, yeah, comes up with new ideas, and there's a lot of collaboration, and I, I really loved that about uh, working there, and um, I suppose. Commodities is probably a really big thing uh, in in a technical sense. Um, our commodities uh, we feed mostly byproducts, um, but they vary in, in quality as they come in, and they come in in fifty kilo bags. So um, you know you've got the middle of the truck quality might not be the same as the bottom and the top, and so our QC process is is um, pretty hectic. We've you know got people going through. Um, all the trucks all the time and yeah just trying to you know get the best quality commodities when 
sometimes not the best quality is arriving, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so I suppose not only that, that cultural differences, but like what is the infrastructure usually like over there? Are we seeing similar things like the house setups are here? I think that most feedlots in Indonesia have either partial cover or, or full covered sheds in, in some areas. So we have sheds similar to this, not as robust. Um, and we do have some paddocks as well outside, but we, we try to keep cattle um, out of the rain and the wet, obviously. Uh, and we're just expanding the, to, to build more sheds over there. Because um, just like here in the wet season, being out in the paddock is, is not great. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, we're, we're sort of uh, investing in that. And I think most of the other feedlots are probably similar. Brooke, you're also a Nuffield scholar. Can you expand a bit more on what you studied during that period? Uh, yes, I. it was the start of COVID when I <laughs> signed up to Nuffield, or when I was about to go on my trip. I actually had my bags packed in a day before I left. Um, our GFP trip got cancelled. But um, studying the socioeconomic impacts of live export in market uh, and then also some sort of future market trends uh, and, and competition with with what we do uh, in market. Yeah. Can you expand a bit more about your findings during that period? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, so we, we import about 60,000 head of cattle uh, to the, just to the CPC feedlots every year. Um, and I, I have worked out that about for every five cattle that are imported, a family is supported over there, um, which I think is really incredible. Uh, and I suppose the local villages that operate around the, sorry, the local villages that the, the feedlots operate in, um, they really prosper. And I, and I saw that firsthand when I lived there, I suppose it wasn't really research, but, you know, everyone's sort of somehow connected to the feedlot, whether they're employed directly, we, we employ 600 staff, um, or, you know, they supply commodities. We have hundreds of commodity suppliers and trucks coming in every day, uh, or, you know, other goods and services, everyone's kind of connected um, into the feedlot. So it's really amazing to see them prosper. Um, we have a local farmer partnership. We have 81 farmers um, from the local village and, and it can be quite challenging trying to do those local farmer partnerships because it's not as easy as just giving someone cattle and, you know, um, and there's a, there's a sort of a culture and um, that comes into it of, you know, the, the pride of the village is to have the fattest, sappiest wiener and <laughs> not so much to, you know, run the most efficient beef uh, production operation. But one of our local farmers there, uh, pa Asap is just truly amazing. You know, he's built, he's bought his land and built a big house and he can send his children off to have a great education and, and that's through this partnership and him changing his mindset. And he's got, if you ever go to Lampong, go and visit him because he's, you know, he's got his, he's got his breeder shed out the back and it's just bloody amazing to see. It's really incredible. So I suppose that the transfer of knowledge and skills as well is another thing um, that, those communi communities um, benefit from, from live export. That's a really cool story to hear about the impact that live exports had on, on that community, on, on, on that society over there and on the individuals. Like, um, and also, like you said, the transfer of knowledge. And it's not just one way either. No. You guys would learn a lot over there. What are some of the things that you took away from the locals? So, you know, communication. They're great communicators. So we run the whole feedlot via WhatsApp, which doesn't seem, that doesn't seem like a big thing, right? But it is like we have these groups where everyone talks, everyone chats, and you know what's going on, even when you're not at the feedlot. I mean, if I pulled up my phone, I've got, you know, there's the marketing group, the management group, the bloody 
cattle group, the health group, they've all you're in and you know what's going on all the time because everyone chats. It's it's amazing. And everyone shares and they're not I suppose there's just they're just really good teamwork as well. And that's what I was talking about before. Um, they just get in and do everything as as a group and make decisions as a group and you sort of don't have one person off here wanting to do this and this person well maybe occasionally but it's it's yeah it's really incredible but so we're around here at the unloading setup the ramps you've got a double decker ramp happening and the animals usually come for come off being red and you can see yeah like you said there's a head bale right there for anything that's missing it and all this how many do you reckon come through with a missing LS tag? More than should. <laughs> Producers, get your bloody RFID tags in. Um, no, there is a few, which is um, a bit annoying, but, yeah, the boys just back one in. And So for those who always, I suppose, are complaining about, like, well, there's, there's always people whinging about throwing an LS tag in there. Can you just explain further the importance of that traceability has on that and why it's important that they do have an LS tag on? Yeah, so we follow those animals with that, with that tag, with the tag list that comes out of the yards throughout the whole supply chain, so right up until slaughter in Indonesia. Um, we also we use those tags um, in Indonesia as well operationally. I'm pretty sure all the feedlots would do the same um, on our operation systems, so it's all run through, through um, RFID, just like it is here in Australia. And you said mentioned before that 100% of the animals going through the yards and on the boats must have an LIS tag? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you'd obviously see a few drop off along the way. Does that happen ever on the ship or in transit? I think, um, a couple drop off on the ship. Like the other day I had a ship and um, we lost two, which is probably not normal. Um, normally it's pretty good. Um, but we just we put a replacement tag straight in them. So our team on the other side are scanning them off on the ship on arrival. So we're scanning them onto the tracks and then our team is scanning them off. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and anything that doesn't have a tag gets one put in right then and there. So if they do lose a tag, they don't lose them for long. Um, you've got a bit of a crew here. Locally, how much does the Birma Yard support the local community? Um, well, like I said, we we only sort of took over this business in November. Um, but um, Brendan, um, who was here before, does a lot of stuff with, you know, all the local rodeos. And, and I think he tries to support the local community a lot. And um, we plan to do the same. We try to have, um, you know, some, some younger people working here and, and up and coming younger people. Um, we've just lost our key little young gun, uh, Taylor, who was here from when she was 15 until she finished school and when she's just gone over to Carlton Hill. So she's in the CPC family now. Um, but she comes back and visit us, visits us whenever she comes back. But, um, yeah, I hope to have more more younger people coming through here and learning. And whenever we have loadout, a lot of people come in and, and join in. And um, there's a couple of, you know, young 15-year-olds that are sort of learning the ropes and, yeah, getting involved, which is really good. That's yeah, awesome. Uh, but, you know, the, the live export industry supports about... I think 10,000 jobs in North Australia. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, it's really important, especially when, you know, there's, there's, there's droughts um, down south or in the north as well, uh, and it's dry and it's a really important market for cattle uh, to, to go out of and, and to also keep people um, in jobs. Brooke, I noticed that you have a bit of a celebrity here in the yards and, and she was also one of your wedding guests as well. Can you talk a bit more about Bindi the Buffalo? Um, 
careful, red dog's just there. So <laughs> Bindi is our third child after George, my son, and red dog. Uh, and she was actually born in the yards. Um, we couldn't find her mother in the mob of buffalo. So um, she very quickly got brought up to the house and we um, actually found colostrum and she got fed six times a day. I had a two-month-old baby and so we had two babies. Dad had his baby and I had my baby. Um, and she's just a little darling. Like she comes racing. Well, when she gets let out of, because during the day, obviously, there's trucks come in and out. Um, she comes out of the yard. She goes to the pellet bin. She fills up at the pellet bin and then she comes racing up to the back to say hello to everybody. Um <laughs> And then she sleeps on the back porch. So she's like our dog. Um, but uh, she's, and she's so good with George. She's just like, I never worry about her knocking him or I would worry about her stepping on him. But her head, she's just so gentle and she just sits there and just lets him hang off her. And no, she's lovely. And she's got her own Instagram page. She does. She's Bindi underscore buff. Because uh, she's pretty funny. She, <laughs> she really cracks us up. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's also a great way to showcase the arts as well, the facilities. Like she's she's really the, she's really the star, but it's also another positive story coming out of this great facility. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and Red Dog, I've got to mention, got to mention him because apparently you said that he does not miss out on a photo opportunity. He doesn't. No, even if Ben and I aren't around, if if there's somebody down in that shed that's getting photos, Red will be in the front and centre of the photo like the Vietnamese ambassador the other day when Ben and I weren't even here and Red Dog down there in the front of the photo. <laughs> it's a it's a famous place filled with famous personalities, it seems. <laughs> Going forward, you were just talking about some of the work that you're looking to do on the infrastructure side of things. Now, this is a great facility, but you are still looking to improve it. Going ahead. Yeah, at the moment, um, the guys have been doing, I guess, small small repairs and maintenance and, and trying to, um, you know, in the yards, flow of cattle and, and what's happening there and drafting more ways. Um, but in the long term, I mean, we would love to see another shed um, over, you know, this processing area here uh, and to be able to hold more cattle. So one of our limiting factors here, which I didn't mention before, is that, you know, we hold a G-class vessel which is mostly what goes at a Darwin port. And it's very hard for us to hold the overflow for the next boat. Um, so you have to be, you can't double book. You can't double book for the next boat when you're not sure, 100% sure of the date that the cattle are going out. So if we had more room, um, it would just make that process a lot smoother to be able to t intake of cattle for the next boat um, at the same time as having yeah, other cattle here. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, look, Brooke, greatly appreciate your time today. Um, I know I know you guys got a busy schedule, and I hope Ben does get some sleep today, but he sounds like he, he hasn't got any lined up for a while. Right. But, um, ben just loves working, so he'll be fine. <laughs> but thank you very much for your time, and thank you very much for showing us around this amazing facility. No worries. Thanks for coming. enjoyed this episode of Yarns on the Paddock podcast. If you have, be sure to give it a rating and share it with friends and family. And like always, have a great day.